He lives out of pocket. All right, tonight I'm excited about tonight. Are you ready to study? Because we're going to have to study. You're going to have to. You're going to have to follow with me. You're going to have to maybe use your Bible a little bit. So, uh, and, and I want to encourage you to just hey, engage yourself with some thoughts tonight uh, as we continue to talk about in God we trust. Everyone saying God we trust. Our little keynote verse is Psalm 25, one and two. Let's all read it out loud together. We used to sing it. I might make Beverly sing this. To you, O Lord, everyone sing it out, read it out loud, not sing it. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. You know, I could preach from that right now because it tells a whole lot. Uh, uh, about how we move into a place of trust and, and what trust will do for us. When we begin to trust God, uh, he, he lifts us uh, and we become confident. We're not shameful of who he is. Uh, and, and, our, and we lose, uh, our enemy loses over us. There's just so much there. Uh, but everyone say, I trust in you. Say, oh my God, I trust in you. And that's what we've been talking about. And this, this little mini-series on Wednesday night is, is a spin-off uh, from a few Sundays ago when I shared with you about the testings of God. Uh, how many of you know God tests us in every area of our life? Uh, and, uh, and all of us are going through some level of a test. Jim's going through a test. Uh, I'm going through a test. How many of you can say on a spiritual plane, you're going, you're going through a test in life on some plane, you know, and, and, and here's the reason and the purpose for the test. The tests are determined or, de- or, or pardon me, are designed by God to determine if we'll trust him so he can then in turn trust us. God wants to trust you with more. Ooh, let's talk about this. How many of you want to be trustworthy with more money? I mean, I mean, wouldn't you like if God said, you know what, you've worked, you've become trustworthy, okay? How do you become trustworthy with more money? You are, you, you, you are faithful with what you have and you do what he told us to do. For example, Malachi, bring you all that, will a man rob, rob God? Uh, uh, you say, how can we rob you? In tithes and offerings. And he said, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord, saith I'll not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing so much so that you cannot contain it. Uh, and so uh, we've got to be trustworthy with what he puts into our care uh, and so he can give us more. How many of you want God to give you more in every area of your life? So uh, he tests us so he can determine if, if we're going to trust him. And if we can trust him, you see, if you can't trust God with the tithe, you can't trust him anywhere. That's kind of the foundational beginning. God looks and see how we handle our money, and it's a reflection of how we'll handle spiritual things. Jesus said in his teaching, if you can't handle the temporal things, how can I give you spiritual things? And so it's a principle. Uh, and so from that, uh, uh, we, we should then learn how to trust God. And man, we gotta learn how to trust God last. That's okay. Put it up there. Uh, last week, uh, we learned from the sons of Reuben some lessons in training and trusting. We all need some training and trusting. And so we can pass the test and he can trust us and give us more and bless us and, and, and use us in a, Great way. So last week we talked about the sons of Reuben, uh, and that was first Corinth, 
pardon me, First Chronicles 5, about the sons of Ruth. If you weren't here, I thought it was pretty interesting. I wasn't sure how it would come off, but I, after I was done, I thought, well, that wasn't half bad. Uh, and, uh, and so tonight, we've got some more lessons on trusting, and we're going to learn from Hezekiah tonight. Everyone say Hezekiah. Turn in your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 18. We're going to get some training and trusting from Hezekiah, and I want everybody to turn to 2 Kings 18, and we're going to read the first seven verses. And if you don't have your Bible tonight, look on with someone, uh, and, and, and if they've got their laptop or something, y'all blow it up where they, everybody can see it. I want you to see this, and let's learn from Hezekiah as he becomes the king, if you will, of Judah. Now, it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, uh, the son of Elhah, the king of Israel. Uh, so Hosea, Hosea, the son of Elhah, was the king of Israel. And that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, the king of Judah, began to reign. So here we see two kingdoms, the divided kingdom. We see Israel and Judah. And Hezekiah inherits the, the throne from his father Ahaz. Everybody with me so far, say, I got it. Because we're going to have to get through that. You're going to have to follow me here. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to follow me here. We got to, you, just follow me here. You're going to have to really pay attention because we're going to go through a lot of history. Uh, Brent, look at her and say, Beverly, follow, follow him right here. Okay. All right. Here we go. All right. He was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby. Everyone say Abby the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all his father David has done. Now, let me just say, his, the phrase his father David, it doesn't mean that David was his biological father. It means in his history, in his, in his lineage, uh, he goes back and, and the, the one who really began this whole thing, David, in, 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 the, in, in following God and his, hey, he's doing it just like... Uh, his, his forefathers taught to do it, okay? You got that, say amen. All right. He removed the high places, verse 4, and broke down the sacred pillar, speaking of the idolatry of the day, cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze servant that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it uh, Neshustan, uh, and so they took this bronze, if you remember the bronze image, uh, uh, they turned it into a god and started worshiping it. Now catch verse 5, speaking of Hezekiah, he trusted in the Lord. Everyone say that. He trusted in the Lord of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. This guy made a difference there's nobody like Hezekiah. The scripture said nobody before or after him. This guy made an impact because of his trust and confidence in God. Verse 6, uh, for he held fast. Everyone say held fast. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, uh, that's, that's huge. Uh, and the Lord was with him. I like that. And he prospered wherever he went, 
And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, so here we find Hezekiah. Hezekiah is trusting the Lord, uh, but I want to give you a little bigger historical context to help you understand how huge this was and what was going on in that day and how he faced the adversities of life and the idolatry of the day in the middle of, of ungodliness, uh, trusted God and was a great leader uh, for the people of uh of Judah. So here we go. Historical context. I told you it was a divided kingdom. Uh, Israel and Judah had uh, were divided, and there were two separate kings. And as we read in verse 1, uh, Hoshea, how you say his name, was the king of Israel. Now, let me tell you a little about this fellow. Second Kings 17, go back. It gives some history of this guy and how he led Israel, Okay. Now, this is not Judah, this is Israel. Read in verse 1, in the twelfth year of Ahaz, the king of Judah, there we talked about who's Ahaz, he's Hezekiah's dad, he, he was still the king of Judah. Hoshea, or Hoshea, the son of Elah, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned nine years. And look at verse 2, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel who were before him. And uh, Shalmanzir, king of Assyria, came up against him, and Hosea became his vassal and paid him tribute money. And the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hosea, for he had sent messengers, blah, blah, blah. You don't need to know about that. They threw him in prison. Verse 5, now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land and went up to Samaria, and he besieged it in three years. And so it begins to talk in chapter 17 about how the children of Israel uh, did evil in the sight of the Lord and they worshiped false gods and, and everything. And, and, and it was not good in Israel. Okay. They had become a slave in a sense to this king of Assyria. And he paid him like, you know, you've seen like in the movies, you know, the, the guys show up to, the mafia shows up to get their payment from the, from the, the business owners so they can keep doing business. That's kind of what was going on there with uh, 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 the king of, of, of Israel. Now, he, and in fact, if, you, if we had time when, and look back in 2 Kings 18, it talks about the fact that Judah was, in fact, 17, that Judah was not following the Lord either at that time. But along comes Hezekiah. Okay, and so both both kingdoms were not following the commandments of God, and, and they were following the way of idolatry and, and false gods, so on and so forth. Uh, and God raises up Hezekiah, and what does it say about him? He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Now it was really bad when he became king. In fact, I want you to uh, you think of. Hezekiah's father, who was who? You remember? Ahaz. Now, go to Second Chronicles. If you understand about Kings and Chronicles, they kind of parallel about history. Go to Second Chronicles 28. I want to show you how bad it was in Judah under the leadership of Ahaz, Hezekiah's biological father. Okay? Verse 1, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. 
And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, as his father David had done. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made molded images for the Baals. Now catch this. He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his children in the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense in the high place places on the hills and under every green tree. This man was messed up and he messed up his, pardon me, he messed up Judah. And this is the scenario. Now think about this. He burned his children in the fire. Now we're going to have to just be, use our uh, hypothetical just a moment. We don't know how many children he had. We don't know how many kids he, children he might've had with, uh, with, uh, handmaidens. Uh, Hezekiah was his born son. We don't know if even Hezekiah, Hezekiah might have been burned in the fire. We don't know, but I'm going to tell you, Hezekiah grew up in a strained and terrible place. Undoubtedly may have had actual biological son, uh, brothers and sisters who were sacrificed in these, these altars of fire outside the city of Jerusalem. I'm telling you, it was bad. We think we got it bad. I'm telling you, it's bad. And here comes Hezekiah. And it says he trusted the Lord. In the middle of all that, even though his daddy was a mess and blew it terribly, somehow Hezekiah had developed a strong moral compass. And so in the middle of all this idolatry, murder, and moral mayhem, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord his God. Now, here we go. We're going to look at Hezekiah. Are you ready? Everybody say, I'm ready. Look at your name and say, you ready? We're going to look at some training and trusting to Hezekiah. And, and I'm going to give you some thoughts about him that he had within him that helped him. And the first one is this. It's going to give us the reason and the, the, the reason behind his capacity to trust God. Uh, and here, here it is. He held fast to a strong biblical understanding of right and wrong. Everyone say that with me. He held fast to a strong biblical understanding of right and wrong. Let me just, before I even talk about Hezekiah, let me tell you something. When the enemy wants to undermine governments, places, and lands, and peoples, he starts undermining the, the biblical strength and the biblical insight and understanding of what's right and wrong. Anyone ever heard of, uh, what is it, the, the, the everything's relative? It's just everything's relative. It depends on the circumstance. Murder may not be wrong depending on the circumstances, and this may not, no, no, that's not the case with with Hezekiah. He held to a strong biblical understanding of right and wrong. We see in verse 4, uh, in fact, you see in, in, in 2 Chronicles when he became king, that, that uh, 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 account, he removed idol worship immediately from Jerusalem. He started pulling down. Look what it says. He began to pull down these wooden images and he began to tear them down. And not only did he do that, but he began to, he, he reinstated the, the temple worship and began to restore Jerusalem and restore 
restore Judah to a place of their intended purpose and reason for being. And why did he do that? And how could he do that? Because he had an insight uh, into and had an understanding of what was really right and wrong. In fact, it, when you read down here, it says he obeyed the commands just as the Lord had commanded Moses. What do you think he's talking about there? The Ten Commandments. And if you go to Exodus 20, the first part of the Ten Commandments all have to do with no other gods before me. And, and there's only one God and his name is, he's God. And you can't, you can't worship other gods. And so we see immediately Hezekiah getting back to the basics of what it takes to, uh, for, for God's people to survive and thrive. And that is getting to a place of understanding what's right and wrong here. We've got to figure out what's right and wrong. And we're going to restore this place now. How could he do that when his daddy was such a devil? I think I know. Everybody say, how do you, everybody say, how did he do that? How could he do that? How could he have developed such a strong moral compass in the middle of such trouble and trauma and immorality and, and, and idolatry? And how could he do that? Well, you got to go back to the second verse and we'll see a little insight. It says, he was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. Catch this line. His mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. His mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. Now, Abby was married to this Ahaz. How many of you know, God, how, could you imagine being married to the fellow who's torturing your children and other people's children? But now Zechariah is her daddy. Now, this is not the prophet Zechariah, but this is a prophet. He is a spiritual guy, and I want to show him to you right here. Uh, look in Second Chronicles 26. Go over there. This is where we find how the roots of, of Hezekiah's capacity to stand strong. Go to Second Chronicles 26. It's just right after I went way too far. It's King's Chronicles. Second Chronicles 26, it talks about her. In fact, she's only mentioned... Two times in Scripture, and both times, all it says about her, she's the mother of Hezekiah. That's all it says about her. But let me tell you something. Not, not much has to be known about you for you to do great things. Okay? And look at look what it says in, in uh, um, 2 Chronicles 26, 1 through 5. Now, all the people... I think I've got this right. Okay, let me look at... Uh, uh, hmm... Oh, oh, Second Chronicles 29.1. Go over. Second Chronicles 29.1. I think that was wrong. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. Sounds just like Second uh, uh, Kings 18. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, which is Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. Now, catch verse 2. It tells us about Zechariah. It doesn't tell us about Abby. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according that, uh, to all that his father David had done. So we find Zechariah was... And Hezekiah, both involved, and you, and you read about Zechariah. In fact, it says about him uh, that he, oh, 
here's another one about Zechariah. Go back to Second Chronicles 26. Okay, verse 5. And he sought God, speaking of Hezekiah, in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. That's Zechariah. That's, uh, that's uh, 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 Abby's dad and Hezekiah's granddad. If you got it now, say, I got it. So in the middle of all this immorality, in the middle of all this idol worship, in the middle of all this murderous mayhem, there's Zechariah, not the Zechariah, the big prophet that wrote, wrote the book Zechariah, but just a Zechariah who had an understanding and visions and he could, he had a spiritual insight and he was a seeker of God and God made him to prosper. Now, let me just tell you, isn't it good that in the middle of ungodliness, godly influences can make such a difference. Let's take that home tonight. You know, in the middle of the world we live in, certainly not as bad as the day that uh, these guys were living in, we have some people who refuse to to, to uh, bend or, or, or break or, or bow, and that was Zachariah who took his daughter and poured into her, and probably poured into Hezekiah, the things of God, the commandments of God, the truth of God. And so Hezekiah at 25, all of a sudden, man, he got out of school and went right straight to one of the highest jobs in the land. That was leading the people of Judah. And he had what it took he trusted in the Lord. See, understand something about the people around you and the people you influence. We will influence them. We just may not influence them the right way. We need to influence our kids and those around us uh, with the truths of God. And remember, hey, you, you can't let the strong biblical com, uh, uh, understanding of right and wrong be watered down in your life. And listen, all of us are tempted. All of us are tested. You look at certain things, well, maybe this is not wrong. Maybe this is not too bad. Everybody does it. Uh, but, but what does the Bible say? Come on now. And, and if we're going tr- to be trained in trusting, there has to be a firm terra firma and foundation of our life of moral right and wrong in our life. We've got to come to the place where I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe that what he tells me, and if he commands me, don't do that. It's like you're telling your kids, nowadays you, you buckle them up, no doubt. But in my day, it was a kind of optional. How many of you remember the days of optional? And some of the cars that my parents had didn't even have seat belts. But when the seat belts came, you know, it was we'd stand up. In fact, we'd lay in the back. I don't know if you, we had cars that you could get up behind the seat and lay in the back window. Man, that was awesome. Awesome, whoop, whoop, and hang out the back of the station wagon. Uh, we remember those days. But in, as seatbelts came around, parents would say, you better buckle up. Ah, I don't want to buckle up. You better buckle up. It's a come, I'm, you buckle up right now. I'm going to wear you out. Sit down and buckle up. Now, what was the reason for that command? It was for our safety, for our security. And understand something about the commands of God and the, and, and the foundation of, of what is right and wrong. It's there to protect us. How many of you know God's law and His commands are protective hedge over our life? And you got to start trusting that. 
and believing that. And if God says, nope, I trust that he has my best interest at heart. I'm not going to water it down. In the world we live in, it's watered down. I'm telling you, watered down. And, and, and I see so many Christians who have watered things down to the point you wonder, come out, come out wherever you are. I don't see God in there anywhere. To the point that, that thou shalt not commit adultery or sexual sin is really not really a command at all. And God understands and everybody's doing it. It's just the world we live in. And there's actual articles printed to Christians. Is it wrong to, 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 to have sexual immorality or have sexual contact with your someone before you're married and they, there's a debate going on why should there be a, there should be no debate why that's the world we live in today and so hezekiah held fast to a strong biblical understanding of right and wrong uh, and thank god for abby and thank god for papa zachariah whose influence now catch this whose influence with two people his influence with his daughter and his grandson changed the nation and the country or the nation of of uh, Judah for many, 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 many years because they held to a strong biblical understanding of right and wrong. They took the commandments seriously. Amen. Here's another thought that we can learn from Hezekiah. He not only held fast uh, to a strong biblical understanding of right and wrong and had a strong biblical moral compass, but number two, he held fast to his personal relationship with God and commitment of obedient trust in the Lord God. That's a long thing, but uh, understand something. He wasn't writing uh, his grandpa uh, 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 Hezekiah. Zachariah's coattails. He wasn't writing his mama Abby's coattails because look what it says about, the, about him. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him. Verse six, for he held fast to the Lord. He had a, he had a real relationship with God. Listen, you can trust God the more you, you get to know him, the more you lean upon him, the more you rely upon him, the more you trust him and don't try to ride the coattails of somebody. How many of you know you can't ride the coattails of your wife or your husband or your grandma or your granddaddy or your youth pastor or your preacher? All of us has to come to a place like Hezekiah did and, and it was whatever we get taught and whatever we hear from others becomes real in our own life and at some point point in Hezekiah's young 25-year-old life, he said, you know what? I'm trusting God in my life. I'm going to trust the God of my forefathers. I'm going to have a relationship with them, with him. Are you with me? Say amen. That's so important. Number three, he held fast to a strong personal responsibility to restore Judah to her godly heritage. Go over to 2 Chronicles 29. Let me show it to you over there. 2 Chronicles 29, the first thing he did. Man, this guy got right to work. You know, everybody's getting, you know, it's kind of parallel today. We got a new president and he's getting right to work and people are, you know, they didn't believe he was going to be the president. And now they're trying to figure out how to not make him, the, him not to be the president. And, and, but he's just getting right to work and getting busy. People are criticizing him for getting busy about doing what he promised he was going to do. I, hey, I'm not, I, I'm not a politician, but you know, he said he's going to make America great again and he's 
endeavoring to do that. Now, whether he does, I don't know, but he's going to be our next president. He's getting right to work. Look what Hezekiah does. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. And in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. I just love that. He said, we're going to get church back in this place. We're going to get God. Then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the square and he gave them a really good talking to. And he said, you better sanctify yourselves and get this straight. We're getting this figured out. And you carry all this rubbish, rubbish out of this holy place. I love this guy. Man, he just said, hey, uh, uh, and he said, and, and, and it's like he, he knew this was his purpose. It, it, though it doesn't use this terminology, you look at his life and you look at how he was raised uh, with uh, Zachariah and Abby, it, it seems as though he lived with a sense of prophetic destiny in his life. Zachariah had a prophetic edge. His granddaddy was a prophetic uh, person. And, and, and though I'm reading between the lines, I'm sure he, he set it off on his grandson a time or two. He sensed something about his grandson and he lived that way. Way. He held fast to a strong personal responsibility to restore Judah to her godly heritage. A lot of people in this life and a lot of Christians are just trying to hold on till Jesus comes. Listen, we have a responsibility in the world around us. And listen, this is where we need to trust God. He's got us here for a purpose and he wants us to restore his purpose and plan in the church and in this world we live in. And Hezekiah lived with that sense of prophetic destiny. He had been established in this to the point that it just burned within him. And on the first day on the job, he gets right to work to fulfill God's purpose for his life. And he trusted God in the process. In, in fact, uh, and when you live with a sense of prophetic destiny in your life and you realize God has a purpose and a plan for you, it'll push you to the place of trusting him. Amen. Number four, he held fast to his godly leadership responsibilities in the face of adversity along with the people of Judah. Now, let me, if you go back to 2 Kings, go back to 2 Kings, I'll give you kind of a, a quickie story of what was going on. And this is an insight that I'm not sure I know all about and why he did what he did. But the king of Assyria, do you remember him? He's the guy who, who, uh, who got the king of Israel uh, on his payroll. Or he put the king of Israel on his payroll, you remember? Uh, well, he did the same thing with Hezekiah, the king of Judah. And I'm not really sure why Hezekiah did what he did, but he, he was in some way intimidated by this, um, this massive king of Assyria, Sennacherib. Everyone say Sennacherib. And so Sennacherib put him at the place where he, he, owed, he said, man, I'm going to have to pay him big time. And so Hezekiah, uh, in this middle of this, this troubled time, had to go into the temple and strip all the gold out of the temple and to give it to this evil king Sennacherib. Now, I'm not sure why he did that, but in the process thereof, because he was a man who had some, some strong levels of trust in God, in the process of time, this Sennacherib, he starts trying to undermine the people of God and Judah's trust in God. You can read it later. But he says this, let's look down to verse, uh, 
uh, 29. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. This is Sennacherib talking. For he shall not be able to deliver you from his hand, nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying the Lord will surely deliver us. His whole purpose in all of this was not only to get the gold, but to get these people out from under the, the lordship and the governance of God in their life. That's really true. How many of you know those are Sennacherib influences in our world today? And so he just, he's after them. And he's trying to get them to respond. In fact, if you go to verse 37, then Elikiah, oh no, verse 36, but the people held their peace. They wouldn't, and, and answered him not a word for the king's commandment was do not answer them. Uh, Hezekiah said, don't you answer him back. Okay. And so that's what happened. And, and Hezekiah, in the middle of all of that, he in some way, his leadership skills stayed intact, even when I believe evidently he had made some kind of level of a mistake. And it doesn't say it was a mistake. It doesn't say he feared, but he said, I've, it, it's, it's just a unique time. But God went to work for him because even through all this, in some level, he kept his trust for God. And in chapter 19, we'll look at it in a minute, he begins to pray and seek God. But, but, but the people, how many of you know if, if all this trouble was happening, it'd be hard for the people to stick with you? Especially under that extreme pressure. But it says they didn't answer a word because their king Hezekiah said, don't talk to him. Don't speak that out of your mouth. Don't let him get, get in your business of trusting God. And so somehow through it all, they trusted God and, and he held fast to his godly leadership. He didn't bolt and run. Listen, when you're trusting God in the middle of trauma and adversity, you can't bolt and run. You got to stay the course. Somebody say, stay the course. And so he stayed the course. Here's number five. He held fast to his understanding of the prophetic anointing. He learned from his mom and his papa. Look, the first thing he does after he heard all about this and how Sennacherib was, was invading with, with uh, propaganda into the people's minds, it says when he heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. And he said, Elohim, who was over the household, Sheb, Shebna, the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet. Now, now here's what... He, Here's what he did. You want to know what he did? We need a word from the Lord here. That's what we need. Because I can trust a word from God. I can't trust this fella, Sennacherib, who's taken advantage of me. We need a word from God. And he calls uh, uh, to Isaiah, and Isaiah comes, and he explains the problem and all that was going on. And Isaiah said to them, verse 6, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. How many of you know that's a pretty good word from God when you're under the gun? He said, I'll take care of it. Thus saith the Lord. Now, where did he get this understanding of prophetic anointing? He got it from his papa. Papa Zechariah. 
who had understanding of spiritual insight and prophetic anointing in his life. And, and I, I, hey, I'm really reading between the lines, but I can just see Papa Zachariah taking Hezekiah in the middle of all this trouble and trauma, you know, and bouncing him on his knee and say, listen, the Lord has big plans for you, buddy. I'm, and he just spoke the prophetic word into his life to the point that he knew when he got into the place of, of, of trouble and trauma, we need to get the word of the Lord moving in this place. Because if we can get a word from God, we can do anything. How many of you know you can trust the word of the Lord? In fact, here's a little side note. Remember Jehoshaphat? Everybody say Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was kind of in the same place as uh, Hezekiah was in 2 Chronicles 20, 20. You don't need to turn there. They were overwhelmed by their enemies. They start praying. It says Jehoshaphat feared and he set himself to seek the Lord and everybody starts seeking the Lord and the Lord stirred up the spirit of prophecy. And the word of the Lord came and spoke to them and said, this is not your battle. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Do you remember that story? And the Bible says in verse 20, it says uh, basically uh, the prophetic word, uh, once he got the prophetic word, he goes out, Jehoshaphat, to all the people. And they said, just trust in the Lord or believe in the Lord and you'll be established. And then he says, believe his prophets and you'll prosper. I think that's very interesting. And so we got to trust God's word, however it comes, through the written word or the prophetic word of the trusted prophets of God and the people who speak into our life and, and, and realize something. Hey, if I'm going to trust God, I'm going to trust his capacity to speak to me and get me where he needs me to be. Amen. Hezekiah did that. Number six, Hezekiah held fast to the place of prayer. If you go to sec- back to 2 Kings 19, After the prophet spoke, look at this prayer Hezekiah prayed. Verse 15, then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. And he said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Now, just pause right there. Man, I'm telling you, he's just declaring there's no other gods before you. I've read the commandments. I know who you are. And Hezekiah prayed. And he said in in verse 16, he said, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib, which which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations of their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of man's hands, work and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from his hand, all that the kingdoms of the earth may know, that, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God alone. Now, stop right there. Let me tell you something. He got the prophetic word from Isaiah is going to happen, but it didn't keep him from praying about it. He confirmed it at the place of prayer. Let me tell you about his prayer. This prayer he prayed, it was a prayer of reverence. He said, you're God. He was reverencing him. It was a prayer of reliance. Verse 16, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear with your prayers. In other words, man, if you don't hear me, You're my only hope here, and I'm relying on you. It's a prayer of reliance, and he prayed a prayer of just real realistic request. Verse 19, he said, Lord, 
save us from his hand. That all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. And it was finally a prayer of response. What do you mean by prayer of response? He prayed the kind of prayer that just moved God to a place of responding to him. How many of you know you can pray prayers that are hard for God to hear? <laughs> if they're, if they're prayer, if you're a prayer warrior or if you're just in fear and death, he prayed the right kind of prayer. And look in verse 20. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos said to Hezekiah saying, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, the king of Israel, I have heard. Not because the prophet spoke, because you prayed it just like I spoke it, and God heard it. He heard your prayer. Look in verse 35 of that same chapter. It came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of Assyrians 185,000. When people arose early in the morning, there were corpses all dead. Can you get that picture right there? The angel killed 185,000 people. And Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, just like the prophet said, returned home, and he remained at Nineveh. And now it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the temple of Nishrach, his god, that his sons, catch this, I guess his sons had enough, Adramalek and Sharazar struck him down with the sword. and They escaped into the land of Ararat. Then his son, as however you say his name, reigned in his place. God can take care of our enemies, but we got to trust him. And, and the reason, just because you heard, he heard the word, he prayed that thing into reality. Listen, when you get a word from God, pray that thing into reality to the point where God responds. He trusted his place at the place of prayer. He knew that God would answer him. How many of you know God still answers? Amen. He really does. He takes care of us. And, and we cooperate. And I see a great cooperation here. We got the prophetic word. We got the, we got the, the prayer. And then the prophetic word comes again. God heard you. Uh, and uh, man, God took care of it. He answered him. And then one finally, let me just throw this out. This is an interesting little insight about Hezekiah in Second Kings 20. After all that happened, he got sick. How many of you know that would probably make a man sick? I don't know what he got sick of, but it says he was near death, verse 1. Okay? And here comes uh, the prophet, Isaiah the prophet who prophesied he would, his enemies would be taken care of and who prophesied that God had heard his prayer. He comes and says, uh, you need to know and you need to set your house in order, verse, verse 1, uh, for you shall die and not live, thus says the Lord. <laughs> she thinks Isaiah. Now, this is interesting to me, just a little interesting insight. Isaiah said, you need to get your house in order says the Lord, set your house in order for you shall die and not live. Now catch what he did in verse 2. Then he turned his face toward the wall and he prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, I pray, how I've walked before you in truth with a loyal heart, have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Get the picture? Here's number 7. 
He held fast in the face of death. He didn't hold, he, just because he got a prophetic word that says, you bet, God says you're going to die and not live. You better get your house in order. And he turned right, not to the prophet, he turned right to God. And he just starts pouring his heart out to God and he wept bitterly. And the prophet, something happened in the spirit realm and God relented, if you will, of this, of this time of his departure and gave him 15 more years. You remember that? And, and here's what's interesting. I just love little side notes here. He gave him 15 more prosperous years because he just, he held fast even the face of death and even in the face of a prophetic word from the guy that he trusted implicitly. He said, just because God said it doesn't mean he's going to actually do it. And he just poured himself out and he wept bitterly and God changed his mind. And here's the little interesting insight that you may remember when I tell you. And he told Isaiah after the prophecy came, he's going to give you 15 more years. In fact, Isaiah said, take a lump of figs. So he took and laid it on the boil and he recovered. Uh, so he just got healed. You know, it's, it, those things are interesting to me. And then he says to, his, says to Isaiah, how am I going to know for sure? Give me a sign. What's the sign that the Lord will heal me? Now, Isaiah said, this is a sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do the thing which he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go backward 10 degrees? Verse 10, and Hezekiah answered, it is an easy thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees. No, but let the shadow go backward 10 degrees. So Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which he had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. In other words, the time clock went back 10 degrees on the sundial. That's just amazing to me. This guy through thick and thin, trusted God. So much so that God gave him extra days. Now here's what I want you to go home with. It pays great dividends to put your trust in the Lord God. It does. Go back to 2 Kings 18 where we started. I just want you to see it one more time. Verse 7. The Lord was with him. Why? Because he trusted God and he held fast to the Lord and he didn't depart from the commandments of God. The Lord was with him and he prospered wherever he went. I think that's a principle we can take a hold of. If we can learn to trust him, the way the sons of Reuben did or the way King Hezekiah did or the way David did and others did. If we can just learn these lessons about trusting God, we'll begin to receive great benefit from him. And I don't know, I can't get into the mind of God too much. Who knows the mind of God, but when Hezekiah poured out his heart to God that day when he was sick unto death. Maybe all that was just a test too. What are you going to do when my prophet tells you you're going to die? It's all a test to see if we're going to trust him. 
Amen. Father, we thank you tonight for people like Hezekiah. Lord, not only Hezekiah, but his, his mom, Abby, who's only mentioned two verses with no knowledge of her other than she's the daughter of Zechariah. What an influence she must have had. What an influence Zechariah must have had on her and on her son. To train them and to train him to trust God. Lord, we just choose to trust you. Lord, let us, as he did, held fast to the things of God and the commandments of God. Let us hold fast. Let us hold fast to you, Lord. Lord, I pray for those that are here tonight who are struggling in their trusting. I pray they would just look at the life of Hezekiah and the issues he battled and the and the opposition that was before him. And Lord, let us let us get some training on trusting from his life. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, for those around us, our sons, our daughters, our brothers, our sisters, help us as Zachariah did to invest within those that will go after us, our successors. A strong trust factor in God. Teach us to teach our children, our brothers and sisters, and our, our friends and family how to trust God through the process. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.